Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. Terminal, written by Hainer. Travel by ship was nothing new to Travis. Trav, to his friends and family. He had been around the block more than once, so to speak. The quiet thrumming of the engine, the low vibration of thrust. It was all just the same as wind on his home world. Wind he was hoping to feel on his tanned, almost leathery skin within the next week or so. Barring many major mishaps in transit, that is. Trav always planned for mishaps that had been drilled into him from the day he lined up on his feet with the yellow painted outlines at the training depot. Hope for the best, prepare for literally everything up to and including the worst. This seemed to be the most milkiest of milk runs though, just an old warrior going home to die. Old man Travis sighed and pulled himself from the economical bunk and shambled over to the small counter the room provided. As he poured a stiff drink from the bottle that he brought back in port, he mused at how downright palatial this lodging was compared to some of the berths that he had in the past, notably the flying coffins that were the marine breaching boarding pods, cargo containers with engines really. Despite how uncomfortable those pods were, he found himself missing them. He chewed over the feeding, picking it up a kernel of something stuck between his teeth that needed to be worked out. The camaraderie, that's what it was. Shoulder to shoulder and knee to knee with people you were proud to call your brothers and sisters. For someone who grew up without a family, that meant the world. Just like the wind or the low sounds of the ship in transit, the sounds of a preaching bod slamming into a ship with the old hat for Trev. He missed them sometimes, even which made it all jarring when after the telltale screech of rending metal tore through the ship. The ship, a personal transport designed for comfort and ease of transit, shook with the impact. It certainly wasn't rated to stand up to small meteorite impacts beyond standard protocols, let alone an honest-to-God breaching prod. Someone with enough money to own an assault craft of some sort wanted somebody on the ship dead or captured, no two ways about it. Warning alarms started to go off and the lighting switched from a fluorescent white to a deep emergency red. Travis cursed himself for shipping his service weapon home ahead of him. He should have sprung for the extra screening that would have cleared him to bring it with him. His time in the service allowed him that much. So, instead of waiting for something to happen, he did what any sensible old warrior would do and snapped one of the small handles off the cabinet, nothing that would pierce through actual armor, but, in a pinch, it might be able to do some damage. At least, he could go out fighting. Travis took a moment to shrug his shoulders and roll his neck, causing his joints to pop. Damn, but he was getting old. As if the more salt and pepper beard and bald head didn't give that away. Despite his age, Travis simply didn't know when to stop. 
Instead of being bulky, his now muscles simply looked like tightly packed bundles of suspension cables. He could still run a couple kilometers in under 10 minutes, not nearly as good as the time back in the service, but he was no slacker. Travis pulled off the access panel for the door and quickly removed a few wires, an old trick he learned back in the day. The door wouldn't lock anymore without power, but it would also be opened slowly and silently. None of the telltale whoosh that sounded from most doors nowadays. Gently pushing the door to the side, he chanced a quick look at either of the end of the corridor. To his right was an elevator that went up to the rest of the residential decks, and eventually command, or just down to engineering level. To the left, a pair of armored forms advanced down the hallway. Each door, they passed a data pad on some sort of against the lock, sounding a chime and then sealing the door from the outside. They moved like professionals, or moved how they thought professionals would, and obviously knew where their target was. It was simply clearing the other decks, possibly their exit route. Travis sighed. Maybe there was some dark ops team picking off an unknown insurgent leader and ignoring civilians. Wouldn't be the first time. Gunshots, screams, more gunshots and silence put that notion to rest, as far as Travis was concerned. Risking another look, Trav noticed holes in the technique. They didn't go one door at a time. One handled the left door and the other handled the right. If anything happened to one of them, the other would have to turn completely around to assist. Sloppy, it would give Travis a minuscule window to make a move. He'd done more, but less in the past. Travis estimated the time until the troopers hit the door, counting down the seconds. He left it open, just a hand's width, enough that they'd be forced to push it open the door and give our old warrior his opportunity. As if on cue, a gloved hand roughly shoved the door to the side and an armored man filled the door frame. Idiot's rifle wasn't even up. Travis laughed, stabbing the broken shelf handle into the gap between the helmet and chest plate. An inch up or down, and the cheap metal would have skidded off the armor. And Travis would be dead or in a fight more protracted than what he wanted to be in. Same thing, basically. The only resistance he felt was shoving the bar through the soldier's neck was the tearing of the undersuit. And that's what probably the metal skidding off a spinal column. The unidentified trooper crumpled into a boneless heap. Preferring speed over grace, Travis pulled the rifle from the victim's body and put three shots into the center mass onto his partner before he had even fully turned and looking at the opposite door. Amateurs, start to finish, the entire conflict lasted maybe three seconds. Quick and efficient, nothing like those action hollows that they seemed to pump out like nobody's business. Working quickly... He stripped the bloody chest armor from the first trooper and donned it, gathered up the ammunition and what seemed to be a serviceable knife along with the plating. On a whim, he pulled off the helmet and placed it on his head, not even registering the glazed-over dead eyes staring off into nothingness. As expected, the bucket was much too large for him, but he still managed to glean some important information. According to the HUD, these borders appeared to be after a Bandar diplomat named Drujan. If he could navigate the menus, he'd imagine there'd be a description or even a picture. As it was, the helmet wasn't key to Travis, so this was as much as he could glean. Having learned their objective, he tossed the oversized helmet to the floor. 
Travis didn't know much about the Bandar, but from his time in service he remembered them being a huge proponent of peace between warring factions. Someone wanted one conflict or another to continue. Probably someone making money off of it. This was an old hat to Travis as well. War always printed money for someone, and it was men like Travis, boys like Travis used to be, who paid the price. Always make him pay, Travis muttered to himself as he moved towards the elevator, something his commanding officer back in the day used to drill into them. If they hurt you, always make him pay for it. Travis paused at the elevator. If he took it up, odds are he'd be gunned down by either the security forces, thinking he was one of the boarders, or by the boarders themselves. He knocked down a maintenance panel, revealing a set of handholds recessed into the shaft, acting as a ladder. Up we go, old boy, he grumbled to himself. After a grueling but blessedly short climb up, he noticed a set of doors that looked like they'd taken from the fire on the other side. Choosing this as he stopped, he carefully pulled back the maintenance panel, chuckling lightly to himself as he imagined the clicking of his aging joints revealing his position. Emerging from the hatch, he immediately spotted three troopers crouched in varying points along the hall in front of him, exchanging fire with a few entrenched security forces at the other end. He held up a finger to his lips just in case one of the security team spotted him and called out. Worth the shot anyway. With three oblivious targets at such close range, Travis simply put a single round in each of their buckets, almost execution style. Blood and grey matter painted the formerly pristine halls, if you discounted the bullet holes and blast marks that were there before. He quickly held his hand up and called out to the security team. Sergeant Travis McKinley retired. He hoped his hoarse old voice still carried the way it did back in the day. The team, four men and two Xenos who looked a little too pale after what had seemed their first actual gunfight, pushed out the corridor to him. They kept their sights on him, but nobody started shouting. It was a start. One of the Xenos, a bat-like Yurikchida, looked Travis up and down. Out of the rest of the crew, he seemed to have the most proper bearing and triggered discipline. Appreciate the help, Sergeant. It spoke with an odd, chittering accent. Any time... He said, his voice raspier by the moment. Looks like they're after some Bondar diplomat, he said, tapping the stolen armor. Any idea where they'd be? The bat sighed and gestured vaguely at the elevator. These few cut us off from the rest of our force, and the rest probably moved up a deck or two in order to cut off the VIPs from any escape pods. I think that there's panic room just below the command deck. Taras narrowed his eyes just a little. Who in the right mind puts a panic room in the ship that can just be peeled open and exposed to a hard vacuum? As if sensing the unspoken question, the bat shrugged. That's all we got to go on right now. We're scattered and a little outgunned right now, Sergeant. I haven't been able to get into contact with the teams on the upper decks. Probably a jammer they brought in on their own can opener. If you ask me, it's what I would do. Can opener asked one of the other men who had been inspecting one of the boarders' rifles. Yeah, the aging sergeant said. They're assault ship, boarding craft, flying coffin, it's all the same. He scratched a hand through the rough beard. Is there another way up besides the death trap behind us? The bat thought for a moment, then pulled up the ship's schematics from a panel mounted on his wrist. A few taps and he looked back at Travis. Only if you're up for a spacewalk.
He shrugged. I've done worse. If you don't mind my suggesting, you should take your men and try to find their breaching pod. If you disable the jammer, we will be able to start screaming for help. Odds are, it'll be lightly defended. Oversized ears propped about the bat looking around, judging the options. All right, but take Zebecki with you. He's quick in and out of those vac suits. At the mention of his name, the cat-like member of the security team popped up and trotted over. Travis looked over at the unassuming feline. All right, Kitty, let's get suited up and earn you your hazard pay. I, uh, I don't think we get hazard pay. Travis chuckled. You need to renegotiate your contract after this, kid. Crawling over the outside of the ship like some sort of parasite never really bothered Trav. There was a job to do, and he was doing it. This was just another part of it. He found his handhold swiftly and surely, all the while making sure the cat was keeping pace. As he looked behind him to check up on his companion, he could see the back end of the assault craft sticking up the hull like a gigantic mental splinter. He hoped that the security team could overcome the resistance and shut down the jammer. Currently, any transmissions had to be routed to a nearby buoy as the massive bulk of the planetary body blocked the ship from the meaningful help. These pirates had done their research. For all intents and purposes, the rest of their solar system was blind, and until that jammer was down, our vocal cords were cut. Obviously, this was something that had been planned well in advance. Travis reached the outer airlock and used the code the security officer gave him to open the hatch. He climbed in, the artificial gravity of the ship grabbing a hold of him and forcing Travis to reorient himself and putting the cat behind him before cycling the doors. He readied his rifle and posted up the door. When he's open, stay behind the ribs along the hallway. You check the right side, I'll check the center and left. He spoke to the cat. After it's clear, we'll push to the left and that should lead us to where we need to be. With any luck, this'll be over sooner than later, Meow Mix. What the frick is Meow Mix? Drav chuckled, mostly to himself. It's old. That's what it is. Now get set. The doors were almost ready to open. Travis knew that he must put the work in on himself, but he wasn't entirely confident in the security whelps' abilities. How could he be? The airlock cycled open, and immediately Travis pushed forward to the nearest piece of cover directly in front of him. A long hallway stretched forward, and it was clear. He spun left, bringing the rifle to bear and quickly putting shots down the much shorter hallway that two troopers were rushing down most likely to investigate the airlock. His rifle roared four times and the two figures dropped lifelessly to the deck. He spared a moment to glance back at the cat, if only to make sure he wasn't going to catch a shot to the back. The swift little feline had actually eliminated a solo trooper. He must have fired at the same time Travis did for him to not notice the shots. Good work, he said as he patted the kid's shoulder. If cats could look queasy, this one pulled it off. You stick to the right of the corridor, I'll take the left. Should just be another couple turns to the panic room. Interestingly enough, they met no resistance on the way to the diplomat's holdout. It turned out that the impressive steel door with a hefty-looking set of locks, both electronic and physical, it was placed at the end of a short hallway. And unless they had some hatches inside, there was only one way in or out. Wonderful. Until they get that jammer offline, or you can bang out some code on that door. It looks like we're going to have to hold here, kid. It wasn't ideal, but when was it ever? 
Travis moved a few feet forward from the cat and took up cover behind one of the ribs that lined the hallway. I'll see if we're close enough to raise any of the other teams, the cat yelled. You do that, Travis said, mostly to himself. They had managed to beat the boarders to the room, which was surprising enough by itself, but now he'd need to hold it. He'd been in situations like this before. Lots of people died in situations like this. Travis set his mouth into a grim line. Good enough for an old warrior like me, that's for sure. In minutes, he could hear the pounding boots of almost a dozen men moving towards the hallway. He hoped that it was the security team, but he knew better. It was never good guys first. Unsurprisingly, the troopers pushed into the hallway, completely oblivious to the presence of Travis and the cat. Amateurs, he grumbled as he depressed the trigger, cutting them down before they had a chance to react. They tried to pull their dead bodies back to the cover over the adjoining hallway, but Trav made sure that they abandoned that notion. The dead lay where they fell. Trav risked a glance back at the kid holed up behind him. The cat seemed to be pressing himself to the wall, as if he could face through it safely. He reloaded his rifle, taking a note of the few remaining magazines with a resigned sigh. Listen, kid. Trav said with what he hoped was a reassuring voice. They're going to probably toss grenades down this hall in a few minutes. I don't think their arms are that good, so probably just ear poppers instead of anything particularly violent. This did not reassure the security guard. Then they're going to try and close in and overwhelm us. So we cut them down until they get to me, and I stop them in their tracks while you hold down that trigger. Do you hear me? The cat nodded, clutching his rifle. Travis took a deep breath, never taking his eyes off the barrel away from the corridor. It was a pookie, right? It's been a pleasure, kid. Always make him pay. As expected, two troopers leaned around the corner to throw grenades. Travis shot one in the elbow before he could throw, but the other's arm was good enough. The cylinder spun through the air, bouncing across the floor to a skid to a stop a few short feet in front of the old soldier. Reacting quickly, he buried his head into the crook of his arm and screwed his eyes shut. The grenade detonated, and as Travis suspected, it was just a flashbang. Two things happened in almost the same instant. Travis went completely deaf, his eardrums ruptured, although that didn't occur to him at that moment. The second thing was the troopers bursting out of cover, pushing down the hallway, directly into an unwavering barrel of Travis's rifle. Ghosts and afterimages flashed across his vision, and his equilibrium was well and truly fricked. But the hall was the most simple of kidding fields. He had enough to work with. He'd done more with less. Eventually, sporadic fire from Zubeki's rifle joined the cacophony in the corridor. His shots were far less accurate, but there was only so much space in the hall. With a number of soldiers warring to their shots, the small security guard allowed himself to hope. They could do this. They could hold against the odds. Travis knew better. Travis had planned for this, had made a conscious decision that sometimes you just didn't get to walk away. So if Travis couldn't walk away, then neither would these bastards. His last magazine expanded and the barrel smoking hot. Travis peeled himself from the couch position in the corridor and swung his rifle like an old school wooden bat going for a home run. The stock connected with the faceplate of the closest trooper, shattering it and probably the nose behind it. With a shout, he unsheathed the knife they looted along with the armor and dove headlong into the fray. 
The stories and interviews about the extremist attack on the Starliner Second Rodeo all spun a similar tale. A tragedy of a lone man gunned down the last-ditch attempt to delay the aggressors from capturing the renowned diplomat. The valiant security team storming the boarding craft and disabling the jammer to call for help. It all makes for a neat, tidy story. The dead hero, the still-living victim saved by him, the enemy slain. What they won't tell you is that when the panic room unsealed, the blood was already sleeping through the minuscule seam of the floor. The terrified and blood-soaked Kakzibuki clutched an empty rifle and stared in awe at the scene in the hall. The stories never mentioned how Sergeant Travis McKinley, who had served with distinction and received an honorable discharge, had been diagnosed with terminal cancer only weeks before the incident. They especially never mentioned the six bodies piled around him, all with fatal knife wounds. Above all, nothing was ever reported how Travis, covered in wounds most would have perished from long ago, died with a white smile on his face. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.